verses which really should leave us quite astounded by the claims that they make. Verses which tell us that we are children of the living God. They're very much verses which speak gospel. And I wonder, if I was to ask the question as we begin this morning, what does gospel mean? What do we think of when I say that word? Literally what it means is good news. It's a Greek word. That's what it means. But we have taken that word and, well, we turned it into four Gospels, the first four books in the Bible. And that word is now synonymous with Jesus Christ. And I would say quite rightly so because in him is the greatest news of all. For what gospel means is there is a liberator, one that came into our world, a God of love. He's come and he has changed absolutely everything. And when I look at the culture, the world that we live in, our Western society as it were, I think what I see is a world that's looking for hope. It's a world which is quite happy to test anything and everything. Everything is tested to see if it's of benefit to the direction that the world wants to go in or not. It's called postmodernism, which is the era apparently that we live in, although part of postmodernism is you shouldn't actually give it a name, but it's got a name anyway. And that's the simple part of it, let me assure you of that. But we can see it in lots of different areas of our life. For instance, once upon a time if a scientist said something, it was generally regarded as fact. And you would abide by what they said. If there was evidence for something, we would accept its conclusions. And if required, adopt it into our lives. So for instance, we could say, eat five portions of fruit and veg per day. Nowadays, we think, oh, I'll have a think about it and decide if it benefits me or not. You can imagine what my conclusion on that one was. But everything is tested in weight. Even facts, facts can be fake news. Don't want to hear it, so it's fake news. Not interested. Establishments, long-held establishments that we can sometimes think are untouchable can crumble in an instance. And if you don't believe that to be true, well, look at Brexit and look at Donald Trump. These things that we thought wouldn't happen, well, they did. Our culture has brought them forward. In fact, even things such as gender now are questioned and challenged. I think I was told the other day how many genders there currently are. And... Yeah. How many was it, Iona? Somebody told me. I'm sure it was one of you. Too many. Yeah. I'm sure it was in the 40s. 52. Is it 52? No, because they're actually the same because I don't want to decide what happened. Okay. I was in London recently. I was near Middlesex. Middlesex. I'm going to be an easier one some other time. Everything is questioned. Everything is challenged. Everything is poked and prodded and people... There is nothing anymore that is considered definitive or definite. 
in the world that we live in. And why is it? Why is it everything challenged to that degree? And what do we do as Christians? How do we respond to it? We could respond in horror and fear and being aghast. But I don't think that that is the correct response. I think the correct response is pulling these words that Paul wrote near on 2,000 years ago because we're in 2018. I still think it's 2000, by the way, the year 2000. My brain stopped at that point and it's never moved on since. But almost 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote these words, okay? Words which declared to a world that was waiting that you're hope has come. That you needn't wait any longer. You needn't come under the elementary principles of the world that would bind you in law and striving any longer because here is hope and when you respond to that hope you become a child of the living God. So I begin with a question for each of us this morning. When it comes to the issues in our postmodern world, do we believe that Jesus is still the answer today? Do we believe that for those that are seeking and looking for hope and redefining all the stuff, because they're trying to do something, they're not just doing it for the sake of it, that Jesus is still the one that can bring that transforming freedom and wholeness to the lives of those around us? Thank you. Yes, yes we do. So how do we begin to share this message? How do we begin to reveal it to those around us? Because I believe that people are looking for hope and we have an answer that is tried and tested. For 2,000 years, no matter what move culture has made and what tweak and what change or whether it's imported into the West or the East or the South or wherever else the message is taken, it goes and it thrives and it transforms. In every culture, this message is tried and tested. It's one that answers the deep questions and one that brings the change that people long for and a change that people might not know is needed as well. What we are being told in these verses is that a world that had been waiting then and in some cases seems to still be waiting now for a Messiah, that he has come. That law, the elementary principles in the world, and we could change perhaps what some of the powers of them are for our culture. Jesus is the liberator. He is the hope. So my question is very simple. Do we still believe that? Because when I see some Christians' reactions to these, these movements and these things, I, I sometimes wonder if we do. As he transformed our lives where we were at the time we became a Christian, he can still do that today. And he is still doing that today. Even in Scotland. Even in England. Even in America. God is still at work because Jesus is still Lord. But do we really take hold of that? So I want to first drill these verses into us, okay? My gospel is what I want to begin with this morning. And I'm asking this question, is the gospel good news? So we've taken time out of our week 
I imagine most people here have had a reasonably busy week. I know people have been organising parties and for, for work, of course, not just for the, the Friday night kind of lark. All sorts of different things have been going on. People have been watching kids. People have been working full-time hours. Some people rack up crazy hours. And we take this time in a week to come here this morning to gather with people that we've defined as our brothers and sisters. What are we seeking? Well, I'll begin with that question. What is the gospel to you? I'm going to mention the gospel a lot this morning. And by the way, I'm aware that the word gospel isn't in these verses, okay? So if you've read them and thought, where has he brought that from? I'm bringing it not from the word being mentioned, but the actual content of what's been shared. This is gospel. This is good news. This is Paul writing and explaining what God has done in Jesus Christ and the implications and the impact for each and every person that reads it. The verses are good news, but are we living the reality of it? What is the gospel to us this morning? Perhaps maybe we should ask that question, who are you this morning? What is your identity? I know we could say, for instance, if I ask who you are, well, you could be thinking, well, I'm, I'm Jay, obviously, or I'm Hannah, or I'm Rob. Do you know who you are? But do we? Because one of the things Jesus has done and what God has done in Jesus Christ is he has made us his children. Would that be one of the answers that come to our mind this morning? If I was to say, who are you? I'm a child of the living God. Because if that's not one of our first answers... I would be arguing that we're maybe not grasping the full extent of what the gospel has done for us. And maybe we need to be reminded of that because one of the things is the old dies hard, okay? Paul talks about the elementary principles in the world. Now what he's talking about here isn't like chemistry, okay? He's not talking about the periodic table. Um, and he's not talking about being enslaved for the most part to our culture. He's talking about, because he's been arguing against this view of the law, which is about earning your acceptance before God. It's about proving your worth to God. It's about a self-righteousness. And he's been pushing against that. And he's been pushing against that. And so when he's speaking about the elementary principles of the world, what he's talking about is that. He's talking about this, this idea that we need to earn God's approval. We need to earn his acceptance. We need to justify anything that he has given us. We need to prove ourselves. We need to prove our worth. We need to prove that we are good citizens. And then we start to see others in the same way as well. He was challenging that then, and what I recognize is that that is still very tempting today. Still a very tempting thing to embrace. Let me ask another question. Is your view this morning of your relationship with God 
and his acceptance of you? Is it based on how you perceive your weak to have been? Perhaps you've had a fantastic week. Maybe even spoke to somebody about the gospel. You're thinking, yeah, I'm a good Christian today. Or perhaps you've had a chronic week. You've messed up right, left and centre. And you're sitting thinking, I've had a terrible week. The core crux of that and what difference the gospel makes is that actually how our week has been doesn't define our acceptance from God this morning. Doesn't dictate how he sees our worth this morning. What the gospel tells us is that Jesus has done it. It is finished. And that we are clothed in his righteousness. You don't see Paul saying, you are redeemed by Jesus Christ. You're given the Spirit of God. The Spirit that's going to make you cry, Abba, Father, because you're a child of God. With a little star beside it. Unless you've had a bad week. It's not there. Because the work isn't dependent on us. The work was accomplished by Jesus Christ. And that's why it's gospel. It's good news. It's something God has done for us. So what does he ask from us? He asks very simply that you trust his son. Because the reality is, if we're here thinking, I don't know if God's going to accept me because my week has been terrible. We are struggling to trust his son. We've got to be defiant about this sometimes because we're going to have in our heads this idea that God's expecting X, Y, and Z and I must be perfect in these areas. But actually what God wants first and above all from us is faith. Belief that we trust Jesus Christ, that we place our eternal future, we put it all on him and say, you have said this and I believe it. I stake my eternity on it. I believe in the words of Jesus Christ. He asks us to trust first. To believe in Jesus Christ. To place our hope, our future in him. And to go on with that as our basis. The old can die hard. That temptation to slink back to, I must prove myself, I must prove my worth. But God calls us to gospel, to good news. We're essentially, what he's looking for is that we trust him. Because if we slink back to the old, it's not liberation. It's not liberation. We're just bounding ourselves in yet other chains. It's not life, really. It's not joy or freedom or hope. It's chains. It's deception. And I would go as far as to say it's from the enemy. And Paul knows that and he wants us to know our relationship with God, our acceptance by him, is based only and solely on the work of his son. So you can be sure of this. He loves you. He embraces you. He calls you his child. 
because of Jesus Christ. So my core question in the midst of all this stuff is very simply, what are you doing with Jesus Christ this morning? Because that's the nux of it all. He calls each of us into a relationship with God as we place our hope and our trust in Him. If we have done that, hold tightly to it. Because that's essentially what it's all about. Trusting in Jesus and giving our lives to him. If you haven't done that this morning, if Jesus is simply an interesting figure, a historical figure, he's speaking to you this morning saying, follow me. Give your life to me. Question is, do we believe his claims? And are we willing to respond to them? This is the crux of it all. This is what he asks from each of us. That we place our faith and hope in what scripture says. That we turn to Jesus' ways and that we experience freedom. So is the gospel your gospel? Or are we being pulled by other things? Because the reality is, Jesus has redefined everything we speak. The language here is being adopted, and it's not just the sons that are adopted, it's us all. Okay? We're all children of God. When we accept the gift that God is offering in Jesus Christ, we get more than forgiveness. More than liberation. More than freedom. We get adopted. Adopted as children of God. And it's not, by the way, like, yeah, you're one of my kids, but go and keep, keep, keep to the side. Like, you're, you're the furthest away from me if we're at the dining table or something like that. You know, some, we, we can often think in families, because in families sometimes there's a black sheep, isn't there? That child that um, is kind of not acknowledged anymore. You don't want to utter their name. And we can sometimes draw to just pick it up and plonk straight into our understanding of our relationship with God as well. And there, just, but I better stick in the background. When the Bible speaks about adoption, it, it uses a very important word which is drawn from Roman culture. And the word, of course, naturally is about adoption. But what it signifies and what it explains is that the child that is adopted has full, equal, complete status as any biological child. Exact same. So when the Bible says that we have been adopted and become children of God, on some level, and not the complete level, let me clarify that, we are given the same access to the Father as Jesus had. Isn't that amazing? For we are given the full rights of children. But I wonder, do we think that about ourselves? I am a full child of God. An accepted and welcomed and beloved child of God. This is what God has done in Jesus Christ. So as we sit here this morning with our struggles and our fears and our doubts and our victories and our defeats, 
gospel tells us we are children of God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ dare I say God is pleased with you because when he looks at you he sees what Jesus Christ has accomplished he loves you he will always be with you and you can call upon him at any time gospel good news Yes, God takes it and as his children calls us to live the the ways of Jesus, to live in righteousness and holiness. But this is a response, a response to what God has done for us. Not to gain it or to stay in it. We respond from gratitude and thankfulness. We love because he first loved us and we live the ways of God. But we must understand that the foundation is understanding this stuff. Our identity is children of God, full children. In Romans, we, we read virtually identical verses where it says, For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as children by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. That, by the way, because I don't think I said the verses, is Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Paul says almost the exact same thing there as he does in Galatians, unpacking this truth that we are adopted children of the living God. And he mentions there that spirit of slavery, and this is the risk if we don't, if the old doesn't die hard and we keep reverting back to that, we live in that spirit of slavery. We live in that spirit of fear. And the spirit of liberation, the spirit of Abba Father that God wants to draw from us gets stifled. Because our minds aren't there. They're on other things. If we have the wrong perspective of our place before God, we will know fear. We will. And oftentimes we will let it define our understanding of ourselves and our understanding of God. And that spirit-inspired cry of Abba, Father, will remain alien to us. And that's not what we want and it's not what God wants. Because one of the key things here we have to take hold of, because Paul mentions it in both these sets of verses, is is this role of the Spirit within us. Because he paints this beautiful picture of the role of the Spirit. We know lots of the things that the Spirit is doing in us. The Spirit is sanctifying us. He's working away within us to make us more like Jesus Christ. He challenges, challenges us when we get things wrong. He can be grieved by us, which is quite worrying, actually, with some of our actions. He's with us all the time. But Paul here explains to us that one of the things that the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in our lives is to produce the cry of Abba Father. I'm not just talking about, like, if I was to say, right, everyone on free, shout Abba Father. One, two, three. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay? I'm talking about this deep-rooted, authentic recognition of who we are in God because of the gospel. 
that that would draw from us this cry of Abba, Father, and to translate that into English, some would say that that means Daddy. That's maybe pushing it a slight bit too far, but there is this, le- there is this understanding of intimacy, relationship, a living with God as our Father. So what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do is to help us recognize our place as children of God so that that draws us into an ever more intimate relationship with God. Where we experience a deeper intimacy with Him. Where we experience a deeper understanding of Him and who we are in Him. So that He brings us ultimately to that place where we can say, Abba, Father. That's what he wants to do and that's what he is seeking to do in our lives. But yet we know the Holy Spirit is gentle. He's described in metaphors like a dove. He's not just going to come in and break out the baseball bat in our hearts and say, right, I'm going to smash that thing down. I'm going to smash that thing down. I'm going to make you understand that you're a child of God. He wants to lead us into the discovery of it and to live in the reality of it. But folks, if we let go of some of these important foundations, we're not going to be in that reality very often. And that's where God wants us to be. You, this morning, are a child of God. If you know Jesus and you've placed your faith in Him, that is who you are. It doesn't matter if you've had a terrible week. You're going to have them at times. You're also going to have the amazing weeks. The powerful weeks. But that doesn't define your identity. Your identity is defined because of Jesus. Because of what God has accomplished in him. And we so desperately need to hold on to that. Because we've said, this is my gospel. Well, let me tell you, this is also to be the world's gospel. It's not just for us. It's for us to take and to reveal to the world around us. One of the things that strikes me when you, when you, when you read these verses and when you ponder what they're saying, sometimes Christians are so dour. <laughs> Have you ever driven past a church or walked past a church when everyone's coming out sometimes and they all look miserable? Why is that? If we aren't leaving a service praising God, worshipping God because all that he has done for us with a smile on our face on a Sunday morning, something's not right. We remember here what God has done for us and, and this should make us a joyful people. Because we know God. We know that he is with us. And he has changed everything and redefined our hope as we sang, as we began the service this morning. So I think if we want to make the world's, this the world's gospel, one of the things we need to do is discover the joy of the Lord. Because if we're going up to somebody who doesn't know about Jesus and we are selling it in, yeah, I've got this thing to share with you. You might not believe it. But this is, this is true. You can see the reality of it in my life. 
<laughs> For us to show the world the gospel, the joy of it has to be evident in us. And the joy of it is found in the gospel. The good news of what God has done for us. And that he has become our liberator. So we want to take this gospel. And part of it is we need to hold on to our identity. Because if we fail to see that, we can get pulled into those places where we can't find that place where we have that intimacy of God. Because we're too busy looking at all the things that we've messed up in. When actually what God is doing, as, as you see in the story of the prodigal son, his arms are outstretched and he's like, would you just come here? Remember the cross. Remember what it says. I've written it in umpteen places for you and you've read it probably a thousand times. Come back to me. His arms are outstretched because we are his children and he loves us. And yes, we mess up. And yes, at times the Holy Spirit is going to give us a right ticking off. But he does it so that that relationship with him can be unimpaired and so that we can become more like his son. But his arms are outstretched for each of us this morning. And as we hold on to these realities, these amazing truths and the joy that it brings to us, we shine. We shine to those around us because people see that hope in us. We are revealing hope. Because we're not just sauntering up to people and saying, yeah, there's this thing about Jesus and I'm going to tell you about it. They're saying, have you heard? Have you heard? I know that people are looking for hope, but let me tell you, I found hope. I found hope. That hope has touched and changed my life and that hope's name is Jesus Christ. Because this gospel isn't simply for us. It's not simply for us. It's for the world. Has anyone seen that show 21 Kids and Counting? Absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Like They literally have 21 kids, okay? Could you imagine having 21 kids? Stick your hands up if that's an absolutely terrifying prospect. <laughs> I'll put both up, actually. <laughs> it's, it's too much for us to handle. God's not like that. God has billions of kids. And he's zealous for more. He can handle it. His family's not too big. He wants the world. And he's calling us to go into it and bring it to him. Let's pray. Father, we begin our prayer by giving you such thanks for the gospel, the good news, the good news of what you have done for each of us in Jesus Christ and how that has changed our lives. But yet, Lord, we recognize this morning that we can so be so prone to falling back into the old ways of thinking. We can forget our identity in Jesus Christ, forget what you have done for us and trigger back to that place, Father, where we're trying to prove our worth and earn your approval. Forgive us when we do that, Lord, because we aren't trusting in what Jesus has said and what your word says. 
But that's an easy place for us to get to, Father. So we pray this morning that you help us to avoid those pitfalls. So not well walked for no reason, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning. By you, that spirit, your spirit, he who is working in each of our hearts, that we would let him lead us and keep us in that place of wonder where we know we are children of the living God and that you would bring forth from our hearts that cry, that deep and personal and intimate cry of Abba Father. Because we know you. Because we love you. And because we know you love us. So help us, Father, to be in that place that the gospel seeks to take us to so that we can share the good news with those around us and let the wonder of it be birthed and born in them as well. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask our musicians to come.